Hello and welcome to the Good Fight Podcast. Uh, my name is Simon. Uh, you are very welcome to episode 22, um, which is exciting. Um, this is a lovely number to be at, so you are very welcome. Um, and this is another installment of, we were trying to think just, just before we went on here, of a name and we were thinking of maybe the, the the weekly ponderings but in reality it's probably like the the weekly wanderings with andrea and simon um but and so we have come here to share just some thoughts about what we've been enjoying i guess about god um uh, but andrea in the meantime in the last week have you had a good week and if so what have you been up to i think you need to first off before we get to that i think we need to throw that out to the the listeners probably is the best way to put it because I couldn't have thought of a possible more cringiest, cringier title. But then I suppose that's something you would come up with. So, but hey, we'll throw it out anyway. And if people can think of a better way for these sort of weekly sharing thoughts, a better title, something catchy with a bit less cringe, feel free to shout it out to us. And hopefully we might be able to choose one um, for next week's one anyway. But um, it's been good. Another another busy week. Um, I actually decided to do something new on the weekends. Obviously, of course, there's not too much to do um, at the minute with the sort of lockdown that we're in and all the rest of it. Um, so I'm actually trying to cook or a new recipe every Saturday. So last week I did a prawn linguine. And this week I'm going to try out a risotto, different type. Because I remember for the Italian cooking challenge, we did a risotto. Um, and let's just say... The recipe said for four, but again, that was severely shrunk. So if I cook it just for one this time, I probably should have enough um, for myself, hopefully. But that's the plan. Try to do a new recipe each week um, and try different things out. So got that to look forward to in the weekend anyway. Very good. I did not know this, Andrew. That's exciting. Um, I'm annoyed that I'm not part of this and I can't eat it, your, your great food. Yeah, I've it. Well, just made that one there, but spinach went in slightly too early, a little bit too wealthy the last time. But apart from that, Flavors weren't too bad. It wasn't too bad. Decent, decent. I guess I'll throw it back in your direction. Have you any cooking feats in yours, or has yours just been staying in the cage of revision, as you've been telling me all the time? Yes, it probably hasn't been the most exciting week. I actually have enjoyed it because I've actually started to learn some of my degree, which is useful, I think, in the future. (laughs) Yeah, Um, probably should be trusted at some point. So it's been useful that way. Um, and probably the highlight was yesterday, got to go for a wee dip in Ballygally um, and go for a wee, a wee dander. I was went for dander, got soaked, and then was like, we're wet enough. So just went for a wee dip, and it was gorgeous. It was lovely. Um, so that was probably a highlight. In terms of cooking feats, when I went for a dip, I, it's not really cooking, but I was making a wee, a wee mocha pot of coffee. And I was like, this will be ready in time. Um, came back from our swim and the coffee wasn't ready so we just waited for another five minutes waiting for this to, to boil alas it did not boil um and definitely we've caught double pneumonia so if you can if you hear me coughing or sneezing throughout this it's for that reason and that reason only <laughs> well we're far separated so i don't think i have to worry about catching anything and um, which is the good news but good to hear you're back in um Ballygalia, very um good spot you probably felt like dorothy from the wizard of oz just no place like home when you got there Oh, you're right. You're right. Anyway, I was like, Andrew loves it here as well. <laughs> um, in some spots. Um, but Andrew, I think it is uh, over to you to start. Um, would you mind sharing us your weekly wonder, please? You're just going to keep doing that. You're going to plan that. Statement. <laughs> tell you, I, I like it. I'm going to fight. I think it's honest. Um, yeah, so uh, my thought um, they're going to be sharing today is back um, in Genesis. And it's in chapter 16. Um, and it's just the story there of um, uh, Hagar 
is mainly what I'm going to be focusing on. And so I'm just going to read uh, from verses 7 to 16. Um, so just to explain a little bit of the backstory, sort of what's been going on. Um, they'd been waiting for about um, another 10 years since God's promise again to Abraham for an offspring to come um, from back in chapter 15. And Sarah said to Abram, uh, pretty much, go take Hagar, go have a child with her, and then, you know, we're sorted. We'll, we've got this this promise that's been promised to us. And of course, Abraham was very passive in this. He didn't really speak up and say, no, trust God's promises. So they went in, um, she then became pregnant. Um, and then there was a lot of pride stirred up. And um, Hagar, now that she was pregnant, was looking down in Sarah. And then Sarah was getting all annoyed at her and started blaming Abram, saying, why did you do this, even though... That's what she told her to do, and Hagar went and done it. And um, essentially, where we pick up in, in in the chapter is where Hagar has now um, fled from the scene and has went away. So we'll read from verse seven to the uh, end of the chapter. God's word says, "The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going?" She said, "I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai." The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you're pregnant and shall bear a son and shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you're a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So Genesis is a book of firsts. And when we come to verse seven, we hear about this angel of the Lord, which we hear many other times throughout the Bible. But this is the first, um, this is the first mention of it. So it just seems to be an appropriate thing that as you as you go through Genesis, you mention all the first that are there. And I suppose the first question we come to is, well, who is this angel of the Lord? Um, and based on looking at the various passages, I think it was possibly, and I can't say for definite, of course, but this is just my thoughts on it, and um, that it was possibly a, a visit um, of the pre-incarnate um, Lord Jesus. We see in verse 10, um, as, as to why I think that's the case, um, the angel of the Lord said, I will surely multiply your offspring so they cannot be numbered for multitude. And that's only something that God himself could have done. And then again in verse 13, um, Hagar speaking um, uh, to the angel of the Lord, who simply says, you're a God of seeing. So it just makes me think that that's the case. Whether it is or not or that, I can't be sure. But if that is, that's something to be utterly astounded by. This rejected Egyptian service girl is just left here. And the pre-incarnate Lord has came and visited her. He's left the splendors of glory. He's left heaven, all of that, and humbled himself. And now has came down to earth to speak to this servant girl. I think that displays so much um, of the character. And I think God's character is shown throughout this chapter. But just his care, his personal care for people. So he comes, and as Hagar, well, as she's heading the way to Shur, essentially what she's doing is heading back to Egypt. She was sort of part of the trade when, um, back when Abram uh, was down into Egypt during the famine and pretty much had told all the lies and told Pharaoh that um, Sarai was just her sister and things like that. And after Pharaoh had found out, he kicked them out. 
and Hagar was one of the ones most likely to have went with them. And now she's wanting to head back to Egypt. But then the angel of the Lord stops her and asks her, well, where have you come from and where are you going? It's sort of very similar to um, in Adam and Eve in, in, in the garden, asking them, where are you? Knew the answer, knew exactly what it was, but they were asking those things to get um, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, but Hagar here, just to think about things, keep pondering them through. Very similar as well to as well to someone else who was um, by a spring um, of water or a well, so to speak, in John 4. And just Jesus goes, he knows exactly what she needs to hear, but she's just he keeps asking her questions to get her to think and to get her to think. And then she finally comes to the conclusion and realizes who he actually is. Now, the angel of the Lord gives her a really simple command and simply says in verse 9, return to your mistress and submit to her. That's it. It's a very simple command. Just go back and submit. But all too often that's quite difficult because from what um, has happened previous on in the chapter, so much pride has risen up and so much division has came into it. And things really are in quite a broken state. But the way to resolve this situation, the way to get it sorted, the angel of the Lord tells you to return to your mistress and submit. And through this chapter, there's a lot of, well, at least I feel anyway, and I promise I'm not doing a plug for the James part when we ever get around to recording it, but there's a lot of similarities here in this chapter um, to James when they should have sought um, wisdom to sort out this situation. They decided to look for earthly wisdom instead of heaven in um, wisdom that is from above. This was, again, was a testing time for them. Instead of trusting God and for that to develop steadfastness, and sorry, James, they didn't let that happen. And as well in this part, it's starting to take it, talk about submission because of the pride that's coming. And it reminds a little bit of back all the way in James. Just all these things, and then it simply gives the resolution of how to deal with the pride that so often builds up in our lives. I'll just read a couple of verses here from verse 6 to 10 in James 4. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the pride, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. The angel of the Lord continues on to say about these various different things that she's going to have a son and all these things are going to happen and how um, she was going to be blessed, obviously because of the, the link that she had to Abram. But you can imagine this being a very difficult situation for Hagar. She's just had so much grief and so much abuse uh, from Sarai, although she was um, very resentful towards um, Sarai as well because and she looked down on her because she was the one that was um, with child. But a difficult situation. She had to go back to this and she had to submit. But first of all, she didn't have to submit um, to Sarah straight away. She had to submit to God first. I think that's the important part. And the only way that we can, if we are dealing with pride in our lives and maybe getting puffed up and feeling jealous towards other people, the only way that we can get this is we need to solve that out with God first. We need to submit to him. And then, as First Peter chats about plenty and about submission in later on chapters, we have to submit to God first before we can even imagine to submit to all the other things that God tells us to. And I just want to, no, I probably absolutely butchered the names 
of some of the ones in here, especially the well in verse 14. But I just want to quickly, briefly look at the two names. One, who the child was going to be called, that Hagar was going to have, and then the well itself. And how that just simply displays the character, some of the many parts um, of the character of God. The first one you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. And Ishmael means that God hears. And then the well in verse 14, as I will try to butcher the pronunciation once again, was called Ber Lahai Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. So God hears me and he sees me. And it's just like this, to try and wrap our heads around this, this is a rejected servant girl who is just out there in the wilderness on her way back to Egypt. People don't seem to have any care for her on her own. She's pregnant. And God hears her and sees the situation that she's in. And she can relate to that when she says in verse 13, you are a God of seeing, for truly you have seen him who looks after me. She said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. You know, he's not one that is distant. He hears and he sees. He hears, our, he hears our cries, first of all. Maybe she was just in despair crying out as she was making her way back to Egypt. And that's a, a characteristic of God that has never changed. He hears our cries. Whether that's cries of repentance and turning back to him. Whether that's a cry for salvation and maybe even at times in difficulty and despair, he hears all the cries. And how much more does he hear them for his own children? Ones who have trusted in him, ones who have been brought into his family because of what Christ has done. This was just a, a rejected servant girl and how much care that he showed for her. And even later, a, a few thousand years later, he then came to be born as we looked at in the Christmas episode and came down again and humbled himself. He is a God who hears our cries and a God who sees us as well. Like the, they were saying there in the well, uh, it means the well of the living one who sees me. I suppose just to quickly close to bring this thought to there, whatever circumstance you're in uh, and whatever situation that you may be struggling with, as a child of God, he hears your cry and he sees you. Just because you feel your prayers aren't answered in, the, in a quick second, right away as we so often want them to be because we are so impatient at times he hears them you can have absolute confidence and you should have a confidence to come to him in prayer about all things because he hears your cry and he sees the situation you're in he sees the difficulties that you may be having and he cares he cared enough to come down a few thousand years ago to take your place um on the cross and to bear the punishment for your sins and this caring attribute of God that was here all the way in the Old Testament, it carries right through to the present day. He cares for you, he hears you, and he sees you. And maybe even you're listening to this the first time and some of your friends have recommended these two crazy people to listen to if you've got nothing better to do. But he cares for you. And maybe you're just at this point with the lockdown and COVID, it's just the difficult circumstances you're finding yourself in. And you're just feeling like you're just in despair. You just feel like you're lost. He sees what you're going through and he just wants you to cry out to him for salvation and to come to him. And if we can be in any help in that at all, if you want to reach out to us in any way, um, 
via this. If your friend has sent you a link or whatever, you know they they probably well hopefully know us in some way because there's a very a very small people that would that would listen. But we just ask you if you want to just to reach out because we it's amazing to have a God who sees us and cares for us and the work He can do that as our great High Priest because He humbled Himself and came down and He understands our circumstances that we go through. And it's just amazing how much we can learn about God's character just from this simple story in Genesis 16. Thank you, Andrew. Um, that was amazing. I really enjoyed the that God hears our cry and that he, when we do cry out to him, regardless of our position, whether we're in the, the wilderness or wherever, like he does hear us. Um, definitely enjoy that. Um, so thank you. Um, so I would like to share just a single verse um, from First Corinthians. Um, so it's great, Andrew, that we have this balance of OT and NT, um, Old Testament, New Testament. <laughs> and I always favour the New Testament because it makes more sense for me. <laughs> Andrew is a scholar um, and loves the Old Testament. It's a hard both of us, I guess. Um, <clears throat> but it's in First Corinthians 1, verse 18. And I was just thinking about it last night and just really enjoyed it. Um, and so I would like to share from it, if that's okay. And I'll just read it here. <clears throat> For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I'll read it again. For the, the, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And I definitely did just enjoy this thought. And it talks about the, the word of the cross. And we obviously know if, you, if you're a Christian, if you're from a Christian background, we know that the word of the cross is all about this person called Jesus. It's all about God stepping down and coming to join us and actually willingly sacrificing himself on a cross. But my question and my challenge, hopefully, to you today in whatever moment of your day that you're reading or you're listening to this podcast is, do we find it folly? Or do we realize that this message of the cross actually is the power of God? Do we see it like that? What, what does it mean for something to be a folly? I guess it's something that's a waste of time, that's actually irrelevant, that is, you know, in the past, and that you know, doesn't have any, like, real-life application to now. And I was just even thinking about maybe how the world sort of views the the cross and what, what we mean by that when we ever talk about the world. It is people who are not believers, people who do not have a relationship with Jesus. And do they find it the power of God or do they find it folly? And if you've ever had a conversation with a non-Christian and you started talking about the, the cross, Often their face face screws up and they are like, what on earth are you bringing up? Someone dying on a tree 2,000 years ago? How is that relevant to me right now? I have all of these problems, these difficulties, and how is this person going to sort me out? And in one sense, they've got a point. But in one sense, actually, that is the most relevant information that we could ever bring up to someone in our lives. And it's the word power of God. In the world's eyes and people who are not believers, how do they view power? Well, <laughs> very differently, it seems, to, to what Jesus views it as. I was thinking about what is the sort of the most sort of 
kind of world perspective, from a world perspective, is the most sort of powerful nation. And many people will probably be like China, but I will pick um, USA. I think the USA are just in the end of their heyday. <laughs> um, and is obviously an absolute chaos at the minute. But what is powerful for them? They obviously have control like, over a lot. And we know that if someone gets the presidency, they're basically in control of the modern day world. So military might suit into Trump's presidency. The last four years, he has injected so much more money into the military. And so they've grown in their military. So they're strong. And so if they have any enemies like North Korea or um, any of these other enemies would like flare up, he could just flex his guns and be like, literally, um, here, we can crush you in a second. He has things like sort of national tariffs he can place onto like Iran or China um, if they're not playing ball by him. And so he can just control them. And this is Trump I'm talking about, but he can just control them. But it's also full of just sort of like shaming the other person it's just mocking the other um the other either political party um within america or actually just other countries it is just full of mockery that is kind of our idea of what power is just to crush the other person it's just so beautiful <laughs> and i don't think we can ever get sort of over this the reality of the beauty of what the power of god is and we think of what so God obviously is so powerful, and it sort of just brought me to a passage, and it was read. Andrew and I went to church before, last time when we went to church before the big, big lockdown, um, a couple of weeks ago, um, a man read this passage, and it's in Revelation 1, 12 to 18, and I'm just going to read it out. And it's just beautiful. This is the power of God. This is how mighty he is. It says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like a roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, as though dead. That's John. But he said, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the one, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. If you've never heard anything about Jesus and you're hearing this description of him, the first thing you might be thinking is, this is strange. This is bizarre. But this is just showing that he is God, that he has the absolute might and glory that he has. And if we were to see him in his full glory right now, we would just react just like John. We couldn't. We would have no other voluntary reaction it would be an involuntary falling at his feet because we would see something so and someone so much mightier than us and yet it is the power of god is not this passage no no <laughs> this is the power of god is the word of the cross it's so different and so i was just thinking last night just i guess what does the cross mean it's like it is the power of the creator of the universe. Within this message, he was willingly, he came down and he shamed himself in front of creation. That's what the power of God is. That's what he said is the most powerful message 
not all his might and his, his strength and his splendor, no. It's this man naked on a tree. No other god um, in the universe that's ever worshipped or anything was willing to put themselves onto this tree. And actually, it is always the mark of Christianity. It is the symbol of Christianity. You see it around people's necks. You see it on churches. It is this cross. It is where God willingly hung. It's ridiculous. And the reason why he did that, and we, we know it, the reason why he did that is he saw the impossibility of our great disobedience. We could never, ever come back to God. We, we never could. Andrew was mentioning Adam and Eve as they were hiding in the garden um, because they were full of shame. This distance had been had been sort of forged because of their disobedience. But it is so beautiful that Jesus came and joined our side in a way, but in such a different contrasting way. He was actually perfect and he joined our team as humanity and he came to satisfy the wrath of God. And because he bore the wrath, like we are free, we have peace. How ridiculous is that? We have a, a YF any, uh, every Sunday night. Um, and I went for just an hour of it this week. Um, and one of our friends reminded me of this truth, and I've just enjoyed it over the last few days. Um, she said, it is a fearful thing to be in the hands of the living God. There's nothing scarier. There's nothing that should provoke us to fear. Like, we shouldn't care if all of a nation is against us on this planet, but it is so scary to be in the hands of the living God. But now, if we believe what Jesus did on that cross, if we believe that that is the power of God, then we don't need to be, you know, we, we don't have this wrathful God. Instead, we have this tender God who comes and says, you are accepted because of what my son has done. Isn't that ridiculous? And so, it actually would be, to use the words of this passage, it would be folly for us. It would be a waste of time for us to boast in anything else other than this cross as we go about our day. And that is difficult. And for anyone who's talked about the cross in conversation with unbelievers, it is, it's so easy just to move, move on from the topic because you can see someone wriggling before us and not enjoying this topic of conversation. And often... Um, Often they do not want to hear it. Often they think, how is this relevant? But let us be bold in knowing that this is the story of how God came down and satisfied the wrath of um, his and our father so that we could be at peace with him. How ridiculous is that? And so that story um, in the Bible 2,000 years ago is more relevant today than ever. And then I just finally wanted to talk about how the cross is relevant to us, even as if we are Christians as well. And it is. It is something that we need to continue to, to visit time and time again. And I was just thinking about my own life and how, um, especially against sin, it is so useful just to come back to the cross time and time again. And I was thinking about lust, if I am tempted or I'm having lustful thoughts. The best thing to be thinking about immediately, immediately in those moments is to think about the cross, is to think about what Jesus went through so that I could be saved from death. It says that in the passage in Revelation that Jesus holds the keys of death and Hades. And if I'm willingly sort of rebelling against him, if I'm committing the sin that actually hung him there, how ungrateful am I in that moment? It just gives you a sense of perspective, doesn't it? And we need that. 
I need that. If I'm ever tempted to feel proud, um, which I definitely have the inclination toward, puffed up or superior to other people, actually, we look to the cross and we look to the one who actually, he was the only one who who had any reason to boast in himself. He was the only person who had actually like might behind him, who had splendor, who had everything. What did he do? Did he boast about it? No. <laughs> he came down and he emptied himself and he bore that cross. And that is so beautiful. He's so different from us. And let that humble our hearts, even as we re-listen to this now. I'm probably quite a, a worrisome individual. Um, and I would get quite anxious sometimes. And I find in those moments, you can just be overthinking, especially when... You know, I've been revising recently and it's just been sort of just you're on your own a bit more, um, which in one way is good. And you can sort of you can think a lot more about things and um, it's useful, but also you can overthink about things. So is it that is it that useful? But in those moments, it's good to sort of interrupt those thoughts completely by turning our eyes to the cross. And for me, I know that a lot of my worries are hypotheticals and actually aren't real. It's just me worrying and trying to control things. But if I realize that. The God who knows me, the God who desires to lead me through this life, he was willing to die for me. He has got it all sorted. And so I can just throw my concern upon him because he cares for me because he showed it ultimately. Let us come daily to the cross. And as it says in 1 Corinthians 2.2, the words of Paul, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Over to you, Andrew. Yeah, thank you very much, Simon. Um, it probably worked quite well that sort of chatting about those things as I um, took us off early in the Old Testament, which of course points toward Christ coming into this um, this earth uh, and dying on the cross in the New Testament, pointing all the way um, after that back to it. So it all um, accumulates around this really important um, important thing. I remember just the um, the lyric of a song. Let um, me put it like this: "This is the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us." There's so much power all the way back then there was, and right until this present day, it has remained exactly the same. Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> I forgot to share a quote I enjoyed. <laughs> I'll be really quick. <laughs> it's by John, uh, John Piper. Life is wasted if we do not grasp the glory of the cross. Cherish it's for the treasure that it is, and cleave to it as the highest price of every pleasure and the deepest comfort in every pain. What was once foolishness to us, a crucified God, must become our wisdom and our power and our only boast in this world. I thought it was a great summary. And with that quote, we will bring things to an end. I better quickly finish before Simon has anything else to say, because we've already probably gone over time. Um, but yes, guys, thank you so much for tuning in once again to these. Um, and I will not say what Simon wants to call this. So hopefully you guys will get back to us for this week of different suggestions for what you, this time might be called. If they want, if they want to be cringy, send them in. If there's a pun in there, Simon will absolutely love it. So feel free to send this in. So thank you so much, everyone, um, just for tuning in. We want to wish you all the best for this week. Uh, we hope uh, lockdown isn't treating you too badly, and we hope to check in with you sometime next week. All the best. Blast by... <laughs> <laughs>